Let's bow our heads as we open the word. We'll be in Genesis 9. Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity we've had to worship you in spite of the technical issues that you can still be worshipped. And Lord, we want to lift you up as we lift up your word and look at what, you, what we have to see in your word today. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Genesis chapter 9, starting at verse 8. And God spoke unto Noah and, to, and his, to his sons with him, saying, And I beheld, I established a covenant with you, which show, which, and your seed after you. And with every living creature that is with you, of the fowl, of the cattle, of every beast of the earth with you, for all that go forth out of the ark. To every beast of the earth, I will establish my covenant with you. Neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of the flood. Neither shall there be any more a flood to destroy the earth. The look, and God said, as there, this is the token of the covenant which I have made between you and me and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I do set my bow in the cloud and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh and the water shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the bow shall be in the cloud and I will look upon it that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of the of all flesh that is upon the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the token of the covenant which I have established between me and all the flesh that is upon the earth. So we're going to stop there. We're going to look at uh, covenants of God. As far as I can remember, there's seven major covenants in God's word. And we're going to just talk quickly about them and really cover the Noahic covenant. The very first covenant was with Adam and Eve and the whole world when he created the world. And he said, you have dominion over all the world. And that has basically two parts. They rejected it. It was a, one of the uh, conditional ones. If you sin, you're going to have consequences. They sinned. And the consequences were that God let death in, had, had death come into the world and they were kicked out of the garden. And that's, that is one. It's one of the minor ones that doesn't get talked about very often. The second one here is the Noadic one. This is the, the second covenant given. It is unconditional. God didn't say, as long as you do this, I'm going to do this. And if you do this, I'm going to do this. He said very clearly, there would not be a flood that's going to cover all the world and destroy all the world again. And we're going to cover all the points of this, but I just give the highlights of the seven covenants with you. The next one you're going to see is the Abrahamic covenant. And that one is given in, I'm going to give you these verses because it's very important. Genesis 12, 1 through 3, 6 through 7, 13 verses 14 through 17, 15, 18 through 21, and 17, 1 through, 1 through 14. And I know I'll cover those really fast, but you can listen to it online. <laughs> uh, Abrahamic covenant. It's an unconditional covenant. He didn't tell Abraham, if you do these things, I'm going to do these. He said, I will do these things. What are the things he told him he would do? He would make him a great nation. He's telling this to Abraham. He's 70 years old when he first hears this message. And he has no kids. And he's being told, I'm going to make you a great nation. 
Then God goes on to further say, and by the way, your, your children are going to number as the stars of the sky and the sand of the sand, sand that you're walking on. You know, uh, then he says, those who bless you will be blessed. Those who curse you will be cursed. And by the way, Abraham, everywhere that you walk in this land that we're walking in, that you're walking, that I'm telling you to walk in is yours. Unconditional promise to Abraham. And we see that over and over. And that was a hard one. We're not going to go into a lot of Remember, Abraham didn't have his first kid until he was 100 years old. <laughs> All right. Actually, a second kid. He had one 14 years before. With, but that wasn't the one that God accepted as his child because it was with the handmaid. Uh, uh, and it was Ishmael, Hagar and Ishmael. And he, God rejected them because they were man's way of doing things. It represents the flesh, as, as Paul tells us later on. The next major covenant that we see is one that doesn't get, not, doesn't get talked a lot about. It is the covenant of Palestine, that you have a new land. It's yours. And in the end of Deuteronomy, chapter 31, we get all about how the land was going to be theirs if. Okay? It's a conditional covenant. If you obey me, you get to take this land and keep it. If you disobey me, you will be scattered amongst the whole world. And that is exactly what happened to them twice in their history. They got scattered at the Babylonian uh, captivity. They were brought back into the land 70 years later. And they got scattered at the end of the Roman captivity. And just recently were brought back into their land. And in a miraculous way came back again. And then we have the end times that are coming. So... That is one that you just throw out. It's one that you may or may not have ever heard about. The other one is a, another conditional one. It's the Messianic Covenant. And it's based upon the law. Plain and simple. Moses takes them out into the wilderness, leads them out of the wilderness. And it's all, if you want the, Messianic, uh, the Mosaic <laughs> Covenant, read, read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. <laughs> It's all through there. It's, it's basically, I'm giving you a whole bunch of rules. Follow them, and you're going to be okay. Disobey. But they're the rules themselves that God gives them. And the Jews tell us that there are 613 laws. I have not counted them all. I will take their word for it. Uh, they, they, that was their specialty. The other one that we knew that is an unconditional covenant is found in 2 Samuel 7, 8 through 16. It's called the Davidic Covenant. God told David that your seed will reign forever. Unconditional. Didn't matter what David did. Didn't matter what his kids did. Because the Messiah was going to come from the line of David and he would reign from that point on. So, and the last one that we know of, we learn about it first in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. And it's the New Covenant. That's what we live under <laughs> Jesus came, paid, paid for the death, our sins, rose again so that we could be saved by the Father, have a new heart placed in us that seeks after righteousness, be made new, be made alive spiritually, and walk under the mercy of God, be made children. All the 51 things that we went through a whole year going through, the 51 things that happened to us at the moment of salvation. All those things that happened to us, we're, saying, we're, made, we're justified, we're made children, we're made... We're made heirs, joint heirs with Christ. We're made, at a, uh, a, a, made fellow heirs. All the stuff that we have, the grace, we have the kingdom of God 
that belongs to us because we've accepted Jesus Christ. Now, if you reject Jesus Christ, then none of that is yours. <laughs> Your destination without that is hell and none of the blessings that come along with it. So I just wanted to give you the seven covenants while we're discussing the covenants because most Christians and most churches never hear all the covenants. They're aware of the covenants over if they sit in church long enough, they'll hear the covenants. But we want to just put them all together for you. There's the seven covenants. And we're going to really look at this covenant of Noah. And so we're going to look at this starting at verse 9 and start tearing this apart. In, uh, in verse 8, let's start with verse 8. This is interesting. God speaks to Noah and his sons. All right, so his sons have some form of righteousness, level of righteousness because they're being spoken to by God. And the word is, it goes, in verse 9, it says, I establish my covenant with you and your seed after you. This is God speaking. He established a covenant. And what is a covenant? Because we don't use the word covenant very often in, in our modern day language. It's an agreement, a treaty. Uh, it's, it's a binding treaty. And treaties used to be called covenants. And sometimes if you get involved with a group, they may have a covenant for behavior. And basically it's, a, it's saying these are rules the way you're to behave in our, in our um, group. And so God makes a covenant. He's the one that establishes this covenant. He set it in place, and he's the one that puts it there. And with the seed, and then with every living creature that is with you, and all the fowl, the cattle, and every beast of the earth, and all that are from, and from all that are go out of the ark to every beast of the field, or earth. This covenant is not just with man. It's the second covenant that way, because you think about it, the first one in Eden was a covenant with all of creation as well. Man is to rule. Man is to establish. And when man sinned, it wasn't just man who was punished. The entire earth, as we're told in the New Testament, groans waiting for the end of the punishment. The earth started growing thorns and thistles. The earth stopped producing with its full might. Death happened to everything not just Adam and Eve this is something that's very important this goes into what God looks for authority when God says there's an authority that authority that authority binds everybody underneath them to that whatever rule that authority establishes we know that in government if the government goes to war and signs a declaration of war you may not really want to go to war you may not care if we went to war but you're bound as a citizen to be part of that war effort. If they decide that something was not worth going to war and they decide we're going to sign a peace treaty, we as citizens are bound, whether we think we should have gone to war or not, we're bound by that peace treaty or whatever else. You know, we have all kinds of trade treaties. We have all kinds of different things that go on. As citizens, if the, the government says we're doing something, we're bound by that rule. And this goes down to all levels of authority when God says it. When the, the leader, whoever that might be in that particular group, makes a decision, you're bound by it. Now, some groups you have more chances to get out of than others. I mean, technically, if you didn't want what the government said and you said, oh, I just think it's such a bad decision, you could leave the country and renounce your citizenship. And I've known people that have done things of that nature. Uh, that's not usually what you do, <laughs> especially in our country, because you just wait four years and vote for somebody else and change, change it. 
But God's authority is that you obey as long as you're under that person's authority. So Adam and Eve made a decision for the world. This decision is God. He's not, he's not even making this one conditional. He says, this is for everybody, everything. All living things were bound by this covenant that God was establishing. And what was this covenant? Simply, he would not destroy all the earth again with a flood. Now, we have to make sure we understand that it's all the earth destroying all flesh is what that covenant says. Because some people look at that and say, well, we have floods all the time, all around the world. Yeah, we have floods. <laughs> and the floods do a lot of damage where they flood sometimes. But we have not ever had a flood that has covered the whole world since the deluge in Noah's day that covered everything by 15 cubits and never will be. Now, in 1 Peter, we're told that the next judgment of this world that it will destroy it will be with fire. God will just let this whole world be destroyed, and then he'll create the new heaven and new earth. And that's at the end of the millennial kingdom. All right? That's what we have to look forward. This, this world, with all of its problems, is going to be destroyed. So, you know, don't put your hopes in this world. We talked about that a couple days ago in one of the studies. Don't put your hope in this world. It's going to be destroyed. No matter what you put yourself hoping on this world, it will be gone. All of our hope needs to be in God. All our hope needs to be in eternity. And this is the great news for us as Christians. We have eternity to look forward to. Eternity. My hope is not on this world. I'm going to live in this world. I'm going to lift up God's word. I'm going to make everything I can to bring revival to this world while I'm working on this world. I love teaching God's word. And I've told people I want, to, I want to die teaching God's word. Ideally, I wouldn't mind dying while I was preaching, but I think that would be too traumatic for the, the congregation. So I'm asking God not to give me the, what I really would like. Because it would probably be traumatic to have your pastor drop dead, you know, while he's right in the middle of his preaching. <laughs> but ultimately, that is what my heart is. I love teaching people so much, I would rather just be there at that point than anywhere else. But I want to continue teaching forever. As long as I'm on this world, I want to be teaching. And you know what? I believe I'll get to teach in heaven as well. I think there's going to be learning in heaven. I really do. Because the greatest thing that we do is learn more about God. And I am not one of them, and I've shared this with you, I'm not one of those people who believe that when we get to heaven, God's going to dump everything he knows into our head. Because he is God and he'll always be greater than us. Now, he'll probably dump a lot of information into our heads because there, there's going to be a lot of learning curve that we have to catch up on. But I really think that we're going to be learning for eternity. And there's going to be learning. Because one of the greatest things in this life, as far as I'm concerned, is to learn. I love learning new things. I love learning new skills. I love learning new things about God in the Bible. And I've been studying it for 45 years, and there's still new things to learn. i got news for you. There's going to be more things to learn. No matter how long you've been studying the Bible, you're going to have new things to learn while you're alive. And I really believe that there'll be all things to learn all through eternity. Because God, if he runs out of things to teach us, will just create a bunch of new stuff to teach us all about that new stuff. So we'll have eternity to learn. But he says here, I will not send a flood that will destroy the world again. This is his mercy. Why did he send this first flood? We talked about that several weeks ago, if not months ago. Every imagination of man was evil. Now, did God expect that man had changed just because he had destroyed this world? 
No, he knew that man had not changed. Next week, we're going to see that you know, man has definitely not changed. The righteous man is going to end up being drunk. And a bunch of sin comes from, from that event. God knows that man had not changed. He was pronouncing, though, that he was going to have grace and mercy upon this world. I am not going to destroy them again by flood. Now he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah by a, by a supernatural destruction for their, for their sin. He's going to destroy the, the, the Canaanites, the Zebusites, and all the other Pezzites, and all the otherites in the, in the promised land because of their sin. He's going to punish sin between the flood and the end of the millennial kingdom. But it won't be on a global scale. And we want to keep that in mind. God's grace says, I'm not going to give man everything that they deserve. And we see this when the children of Israel start disobeying. The northern tribe gets taken into captivity by Assyria. Why? Because of all their idolatry and all the, the sin that they're producing because of their idolatry. A couple, couple decades later, the, the southern kingdom goes into captivity to Babylon because of their sin. Generations of people have come and gone and they get judged for our sins. We as Christians get punished for our sins. God disciplines his children. We think because we live under grace sometimes, well, I can just go do what I want because God's going to forgive me. Well, you know what? God is going to forgive you. But there's going to be consequences for those sins. And we see them all the time. We have people who decide after many years of smoking that all of a sudden they realize they, they, to them smoking was a sin after they had their emphysema or whatever else in their body that they have to deal with the rest of their life. We have people that are committing fornication and they end up with sexually transmitted diseases that they have to deal with for the rest of their life. You end up having people who get into the habit of lying. We, have, we think of lying kind of as a it's not really that big a deal, but what about when you, how many of you know somebody who you know that if their lips are moving, they're lying? <laughs> personally, not just, not just some of the people we think are that way, but personally know people like that. I've met a number of people that pretty much if their lips are moving, they're lying. What happens to their reputation? You don't want to talk to that person. You don't want to be around that person because you know you're not going to hear anything truthful from them. Sin has consequences, and we need to remember always that sin has consequences. And usually when we're getting ready to commit a sin, most of our sins we don't fall into totally by accident. Usually we make a conscious decision, even at, at the last point. We, we calculate the consequences that we think we know, decide that we can pay those consequences, and then God comes around and shows us that there were consequences we didn't even think about. David went through this. He took Bathsheba, had adultery with her. Then decided to try to trick her husband into coming back from the war and you know, sleeping with her so he'd think it was his child. Then when that didn't work, killed him. Then thinking, okay, well, we, we got away with this. He made her his wife. And we got away with this. And then the prophet shows up and says, God knows what you did. And here's your consequences. And the consequences in David's life were pretty severe. He was told the sword will not depart from your house. And we, saw all kind of, we see all kinds of trouble in his, in his family. And so many other things that he was told because of his sin, his family was going to suffer. And 
because he was the leader of Israel, not only his family suffered because he was the head of his family and his family suffered, all of Israel suffered because of his sin. This is something that's important for us to understand as leaders. We go the wrong way. We bring problems to those that we lead. Whether it's a father in the house, a pastor in a church, the governor of a state, the president of a country, whatever position of authority you have, if you lead your group the wrong and you make bad decisions, your group will suffer for those bad decisions. This is why when we're told in the Bible, many of you ought not to be teachers for the judgment is greater for those that teach. Very important for teachers to understand that when you teach, you're bringing people either to God or away from God with the way you teach. And it's very important for us to understand that. He established the covenant and he says, I set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a token of the covenant. This idea of a token, a sign, a sign. Usually every covenant had some token with it. Something to remember God's promise. When God did this one, it said the rainbow. And Matthew Henry said something very interesting that I, when I was doing some research on this. He says the bow is aimed up toward God. It's God's responsibility to keep it factual. Because it is a bow, and if you're familiar with archery, the rounded part is where you shoot off of and the string crosses it. The bow of the rainbow faces toward God. It's God's job to keep it, according to Matthew Henry. And it, it made sense. Uh, but that is the sign for him saying, I'm not going to flood the world. The, what, was the, what was the disobedience in the garden? It started out with the tree of life. Here's the, here's the token of, my, of it ended with a cherubim guarding the entrance back, to, back into Eden. The people crossed the River Jordan as they entered into, the Pal into Palestine. And you may or may not remember this, but when they entered, they crossed into the, into the Promised Land from the, west side, uh, the east side. God opened up the Jordan River for them. They walked across on dry land. They were told each tribe grab a stone out of the, out of the river and make a monument. And that monument was for them to remember their sign. Here's the sign of what God had promised. As long as we obey, this land is ours. For Abraham, the sign, the token that they had was circumcision. That they were circumcised. And it was a token between God and his children that they were promised to be a great nation and to have all the things. We see this over and over. Another sign for the Israelites and this is something that God spoke of, and it says, the Sabbath day is a sign and a token for God and the Israelites. That's in Exodus 31, 13, 17, and Exodus 20, verse 12. So when you get these people telling you all about, well, you've got to worship on the Sabbath because that's what it is. Well, no, that's a sign between God and Israel. Now, we need a day of rest. We need to rest. We need to worship God. But don't get legalistic about what day. Jesus intensified all the laws, and he intensified our worship day. It's every day of the week, people. <laughs> We're to worship God every day, not just one day a week. He wants us to, because we have entered into our rest with God in Jesus Christ. We are in faith rest, and we are looking to get into the final faith, faith rest of heaven. But do you, 
have you realized that as a Christian, you have that peace, you have that restfulness that you didn't have before you were a Christian? I hope you understand what I'm saying. I am at peace. It doesn't matter what's going on around me. It doesn't matter the chaos that's going around me. As long as I focus on God, I will stay at peace. And I love being able to focus on God. I love being able to quote scripture to, to myself to help me remind myself of what God says or even to remind God as if he needs reminded. Usually it's to remind us. Or sing a song. Come before his presence and just worship him. It is a wonderful thing to come before God and live before him with all of the peace, all of the calmness. Why can we be at peace with God? Well, for me, it's easy to be at peace because I know one thing and I know it absolutely sure. God is in control of everything. Okay? Nothing happens unless God allows it to happen. He is absolutely sovereign. I hope you understand that brings great peace. No matter what happens to me, no matter how bad it seems to me, no matter how crazy I might think it is, God has a reason and it didn't happen by accident. Without knowing God, you do not have that confidence. Why? Well, because according to the world, we're all cosmic accidents anyway. We're all just a random combination of, of cells that somehow came alive and grouped themselves together and then somehow became man and then somehow, you know, became us. Yeah. That kind of thinking leaves you into a world of nothing but chaos. There is no overarching rules. There is, there is no overarching reason for things if you believe what they believe. But once we believe that God is the creator, the master of the universe, and he does everything that he wants to do, or allows everything that he allows, some of the things he allows are not good. Why? Because he gives us a freedom to make a decision. And we've already talked about that. Once you make a decision, there's consequences. And the consequences aren't always just against you. The drunk person who gets behind the wheel and drives down the road thinking, I can pay this consequence if I'm in an accident, is not thinking about the people they might hurt in the process. And one of the things I've used to be able to shut people's mouths when they go, well, you know, why does God let evil? If he's so strong that he can stop evil, why does he let it? And I go, do you want him to stop evil? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm going to pray that God will no longer give you free will to do what you want to do. You know how many people I've had take me up on that side of the... Nobody. Nobody wants to lose their free will to do what they want, to, even if it means to have no bad consequences to somebody else. Because we have that freedom to make decisions, consequences and bad things can happen. Because Adam and Eve cursed this world, not just humanity, there are natural disasters that happened because of man's choice. Can God stop all of this? Absolutely. Will he? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> He's going to create a new heaven and earth when we've got our glorified bodies that are perfect and sinless that won't have any problems with it. Because we won't want to do anything because our decision was made on this world. God will make it right. But he's going to wait until this world has run its course and people have made their decision for or against him. Then he says, okay, you made your decisions for me. 
there goes your sin nature. You're not going to make any bad decisions anymore. Won't it be great when we can be in that place? Everything you learn, you won't forget. Yeah. I'd love to be in that place. Everything I've learned, I'd love to be in a place where I haven't forgotten it. I, I get in the Bible sometimes and I read something, I'm going, wow, that's brand new. And then I remember later on, I learned that 20 years ago. Why is it new? We need to keep this in mind. God has what he's going to do. And this covenant that he makes with man that he's not going to destroy the world is with all the world. And it is unconditional. And there's just a couple of unconditional ones. The Noadic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, then the Davidic covenant. The new covenant is not unconditional. You have to choose Christ to be under the new covenant. Now, once you're there, you're there. <laughs> but we have, out of the seven, three of them are unconditional and four of them have conditions. And this is the great thing we want to keep in mind. Want to be able to obey God. Want to be able to serve him. But it's a choice. How do we get under the new covenant? We recognize we're a sinner. We recognize that we deserve punishment. We recognize that Jesus paid for it. And we repent and accept his gift. And then he puts us under the new covenant with all that comes with that. But we need to keep that in mind. We need to keep that always in mind. And when we come around and we share the gospel, and that's our job is to share the gospel. And I kept going over you. How fast did I just give the gospel just now? 30 seconds. <laughs> we are sinners. We deserve punishment. Jesus paid for it. We need to repent and, and accept him. All we have to do is give the gospel out. That's our job. Give the gospel out. Invite people to accept Jesus Christ, and it's between them and God. We're not there to try to twist their arm. We're not there to try to convince them. Now, it is nice when you can give answers to why you should believe and all of this stuff, and that's what we're told by Peter. Be ready always to give an answer for what you believe. And that's an apology. Now, most of us, when we hear the word apology, we think of what we made our kids do or what you were made to do as a kid. You go tell your brother you're sorry. And what did the kid go up and go, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, I'm not sorry at all, but mom and dad told me to say I'm sorry, but I'm gonna, so I'm going to tell you I'm sorry. That is not what an apology is, even in English. And it's definitely not what it is in Greek. In Greek, it is to give a reason for what you do or believe. You know, I'm really sorry I hit you in, in the nose because you took my truck. I'll think about not doing it again. <laughs> that would really be an apology, even though it's not what we would think about a, be an apology. I gave you a reason, told you what the consequences will be. For us as Christians, we give a reason. Why do we believe? Why do we believe we're sinners? Because God says so, and we know the, we know the story of Adam and Eve. Why do I know that I deserve the punishment? Again, we go back to Adam and Eve and all the punishment that God has given out on people. I believe that Jesus paid for it. And I know for a fact that he was resurrected. And we've gone over many times how we know for a fact from the scriptures and from history that Jesus was resurrected. And we're not going to go over those today, but if you need to know how, I'll, we'll sit down and talk about it. But we need to be ready to answer. The greatest thing about being a Christian, and I love this about Christianity, is because it is the truth, it can handle being examined, even by critics. And, are, and we're full of people who have become Christians and their first intent was to come in and try to prove that Christianity was not right. 
People like Lee Strobel being our newest one. His wife got saved, and as far as he was concerned, she went crazy, so he was going to prove to her that Christianity was not correct. And the more he dug into it, the more he found out that Christianity is the only answer. Somebody like Josh McDowell, challenged by his fellow college students about Christianity, said, well, I'm going to go take a year off school and prove that Christianity is not right. Became one of the leading apologists for my generation of people. This happened over and over again when people go to try to disprove the Bible, try to disprove God, try to disprove Christianity. The truth holds up to examination, always. This is why we're not afraid of the tr we're not afraid of the lies. We're not afraid of anything because when we hold them up against truth, <coughs> truth wins, always. Truth always holds out. Truth always conquers in the long run. May not seem like it sometimes. It may not conquer until we stand before God, but it always will win in the long run. And we need to always keep that in mind. Truth is always the best direction to go. And the scriptures hold up to that. We're going to close here in, our, in this and then do a communion. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come before you and to worship you. We ask you to help us always to remember your covenants and that when you make a covenant that you will hold up your end regardless of whether we do or not. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.